The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 195 for February 21st, 2010. Windows Phone Series 7 arrives, Android dominates Mobile World Congress, and what BezX means for you. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you by Netflix and supported by listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. This show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application for the iPhone and iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes Store for $1.99. Well, before the news this week, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Nexus One and my experiences with it over the past few weeks. I have constantly talked about, either on this show or the Unlock show, about something I call the 90% rule. And that's where when you use your device, uh, the primary places that you're using it typically are at your home, at your work, and the places uh, in between in which you commute. So whether that's just on the road or maybe a coffee shop or whatever it is on, on the way in between the two. That's where you spend the majority of your time using your device. Now, I have been a proponent of this particular rule to say that if you use your phone uh, successfully in all of these places, you're going to be happy with the service that you have and the device that you have. If it doesn't work well in all these places, you're not going to be happy. And that's really what I'm finding is happening for me here with the Nexus One and specifically with T-Mobile is that the service is just not up to par for these particular areas. Uh, One thing that I've been able to do here is with the help of T-Mobile, I got a SIM card from them that has the 3G service on it, which allows me to then test out the 3G on the Nexus One and its uh, you know limitations, I guess, as in my case, we'll call them. And so what I've seen here is over the last few weeks that the phone itself is just a rock star. It performs really, really well. Um, I'm absolutely in love with Android. I mean, this is probably the, the most exciting operating system I've seen since uh, the iPhone came out, especially the, the 2.0 and 2.1 variants of, of the Android OS are just fantastic. But the T-Mobile service is just lacking uh, in a big way. And I have to I have to do some more tests here. I'm going to do some traveling here over the next few weeks to see what's going on with this, the service itself around the country. Uh, but what I'm seeing here right now is in the state of Arizona, T-Mobile is just, uh, the 3G service is just not up uh, to the standard that I have for even AT&T. I mean, it's amazing using this phone side by side with the iPhone. It makes the AT&T service look fantastic. And uh, more on that a little bit later. But um, it's just one of those one of those devices where y- you just want it to work so much. And granted, it's an unlocked device. And I'm really excited ab- about the fact that I can just put my AT&T SIM in it and use it on edge. But unfortunately, I, I would love to have the 3G service on it too. Well, you know, with the, the, the devices like this and the data intensive applications that are now available and which make the device more fun to use and way more functional, you, you almost need the 3G now. You just almost just can't get by with the slow edge speed. And then, of course, since you're on GSM or U, UMTS, you want to be able to have that simultaneous uh, phone call and data access if you need to make a phone call, which obviously, you know, you're not doing as much of anymore. But when the need arises you know, you want to take advantage of that feature, which of course you don't have when you're on edge. And I guess what I'm what I'm hearing from a lot of people is the, the service itself is real spotty. It depends on where you are. 
Uh, there's people up in places like Seattle that are having just great luck with using this device, and it works really well because the T-Mobile service is, is very solid for them. Uh, there's other people that uh, are like myself saying, hey, the service fades in and out so much, it's just not reliable. And I, I find it on edge more than I seem to find it on 3G. And it, it, it seems like it would work just fine, you know, in the areas that I am. I'm not, I'm in a major metro area, Phoenix. Uh, unfortunately here, it's, it's just not GSM territory, it seems, and specifically T-Mobile. Now, are you having trouble with the Nexus 1? Because I know there's been a lot of reports of, of software slash maybe a hardware issue with its uh, 3G and uh, radios. Uh, is that your problem or is it actually just the, the coverage itself? It, it's it's hard to identify because, and, and I'm going to have to say that for the most part, it seems that it's a combination of both. And it's hard to point a finger at one or the other because I, I put the AT&T SIM in it and the service on it seems okay. Um, I guess what I would expect from AT&T, uh, it's definitely not like Verizon, but it's better than the T-Mobile service that I'm getting. And as I travel around, um, what I find is with the T-Mobile is it fades in and out from not only 3G to Edge, but also jumps down to GPRS quite a bit. I'll be on the phone and uh, I'll, I'll, sl- I'll start a call on 3G. And then when I hang up the call, it'll show me on GPRS, which means that, you know, any data that would have happened in between, you know, the time that I started the call and when I ended at some point stopped. And uh, likewise, when I use this device on AT&T, it's on edge, it's doing data all the time. And I actually had to set it up so that when a phone call goes to voicemail. It uh, I use Google Voice intensively, so it actually works okay. It'll ring all of my other devices uh, if someone calls this specific phone number because I'm not even seeing that the calls are coming in because it's using data so much of the time. Um, but I, I can't pinpoint one way or the other because the phone itself seems to be doing okay when on the AT&T side, and then I switch it over to T-Mobile. And what I'm, what I'm seeing, though, is something that other people are seeing, and that's the area on the bottom quarter of, of the back side of this device. Uh, you've got an area where all of the 3G and Wi-Fi and Edge radios are, and it's directly underneath an aluminum band. On the flip side of that, you've got another aluminum band and then all the glass on it. So what that means is you've got this area on the back side of it that that's where all of the RF is leaving the device. And as you hold the phone like any normal person does, your hand is directly on that area. And it's quite annoying as you're trying to, to do different things with it. So I'm, I'm thinking it's one part, a, a poor design, at least a, in how they put this thing together, where they really, you need to have um, something done a little bit differently with this. And then one part, uh, the T-Mobile network is just not up to the standard, which I think it should be, especially here in an area like Phoenix. Um, like I said, I'm going to do some traveling more on that a little bit later uh, once I've done it, because I do want to, I want to give this thing a fair shake and I don't want to leave it, uh, you know, leave it out to dry here and, and just say, well, the Nexus one is, is not good and it's not for anybody and don't go with it because that's not what I'm saying. I'm really excited about it as a device. It's just causing me a little bit of uh, turmoil at this point here. So again, I, I wanted to say though, this 90% rule that I, I constantly talk about is so true that um, I will, what, what I have decided though, is that I will not be switching over to T-Mobile because at one point in my mind I said, you know, hey, I could drop AT&T, especially if I can get 3G on T-Mobile. It's, you know, got the SIM card GSM and, and be able to do that whole thing. I definitely will not be doing that now. I've made that decision. Well, and I suppose maybe before you're totally done, you'd want to check another 3G device out to just to be sure it's not the Nexus one actually causing you trouble, which it, I mean, I suppose it could be, but but I would be willing to bet that uh, that T-Mobile won't have good enough coverage for you. 
Probably not, and uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that. I, I may, uh, I may have to see if I can figure out another another device to take a look at that's got 3G. Um, I actually it'd be interesting to see because I used the BlackBerry 9700 on AT and T for so long to check out the service with it on uh, T-Mobile's on their side. So anyway, we'll see uh, we'll see what I can figure out here. But it is kind of an interesting uh, an interesting device uh, nonetheless to play with here. And if you're interested in finding out more about it, um, there's lots of, of great news out there about the Nexus One at this point. So let's jump uh, into the news here this week. First off, talking about 40 companies now backing the GSMA's voice over LTE protocol. And these 40 companies include some pretty big ones, including AT&T, Verizon, Huawei, LG, Motorola, Nokia, Samsung, Sony Ericsson, uh, to name just a few. LTE does not natively support voice calls, and there are several solutions that are competing to become that one standard that all these handsets are using. Voice over LTE uh, works by using IMS, which is an IP multimedia subsystem, supporting all voice call services featuring uh, such uh, featuring call waiting, call hold, call barring, stuff like that. And by gaining the favor of these 40 companies, VoiceOver LTE has now a big advantage compared to other solutions such as VOLGA. Uh, also, Verizon Wireless has uh, joined the GSMA uh, recently here. And so that means that Verizon is completely adopting uh, the systems here of LTE. And we knew that, uh, that they were going to be doing that. And uh, they had a big announcement here as well. And we'll talk about that in the Verizon section. Uh, next here, Mike Lazaridis, who is the co-founder and CEO of RIM, says that Blackberries are the only devices that will work in a crisis. He did a, a keynote speech at the Mobile World Congress here this past week and, and talked about a number of different things with the BlackBerry. Uh, number one, that the BlackBerry Messenger was one of the biggest things that had kept RIM uh, on top of the smartphone game here over the past few years, and that the BlackBerry Messenger services are some of the fastest and most reliable messaging experiences that you can have today uh, using a smartphone. He also went in to say that the BlackBerry itself uh, has... has a, an efficiency rating that's much higher than some of the other smartphones that are out there. They've got a ton of people working on the BlackBerry software and the BlackBerry devices, and they have said that the BlackBerry is five times more efficient in terms of email than other devices such as the iPhone and uh, Android devices. And he says that mobile networks are facing a growing capacity crisis due to the soaring demand for internet access, and the secret weapon of efficiency is what BlackBerry has that will give them a real competitive advantage here. And I'm kind of I'm I'm torn on his comments with this one here because on one side, yeah, you realize that something that they're doing in the way that they keep all of their data in a relatively compressed and compact format here for just sending it down is great. But at the other side, you really want to be able to do some great things such as streaming audio and video and stuff like that that are just fun to do. Yeah, and you know that's where the you know the heritage of Blackberries came from, and that's how their whole system is designed is for you know efficient use of bandwidth. You know, and it was originally on very slow networks. You know, it was on IDEN and it was on uh, you know GPRS, and it gave you basically really smooth experience where it cached things, did things kind of in the background where you didn't need a real time data connection to hit send on that email, and you wouldn't have to sit there and actually wait for it to send it to get to the next screen. So, yes, I mean, and then, of course, they use proxy servers to compress the web data and to, you know, give you optimized images, and it makes a great experience, you know, for back in the day. But, of course, you know, now, yeah, like you said, you want streaming media, streaming video, streaming this, that. Uh, Granted, for probably all the email and a lot of the web browsing, it still is compressed, which probably makes it faster for the end user. It's uh, it's kind of one of those things where it, it really doesn't matter much anymore. They are saying three to five years, or Lazaridis is saying three to five years, 
is uh, the timeline in which the carriers are going to run out of capacity. Uh, and then taking a look at all of their applications, they say they're being thoughtful with them and we're enabling uh, a better value out of the network. And that's good for obviously those carriers. And looking at, you know, at long term, what that's going to mean uh, may mean that uh, BlackBerry has got an advantage. Um, I just one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier that I want to expand upon just briefly is the AT&T service here and how great uh, the the network has been here recently. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, they had all this lip service here over the past few months saying, they're, oh, we're increasing capacity, we're doing different things. And boy, it was like a, a, a switch has been flipped here over the past few weeks. And, you know, I'm doing speed tests now and I'm seeing 1.5, 1.7 megabit per second connections on my AT&T service here in Phoenix, which I have just never seen. I mean, that is that is absolutely more... Uh, than double what I've ever seen on the network here. So uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting what they're doing, and I'm excited to see uh, that they're that they're at least taking strides in that direction. But yeah, it, it could be a few years, um, and, and and they could just be out of the capacity. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe with Blackberry's. Uh maybe their marketing campaign is going to be towards carrier saying, well, you should go with Blackberries for your devices because we're going to save you capacity. And we have the ability to compress the stream down. Whereas if you're on an iPhone or, or a Windows mobile phone, for example, you know, there is no checks or locks in place where, you know, the user themselves has full access to the data pipe. And instead of the carriers having to do the traffic shaping, the Blackberry service can do the traffic shaping. So that could be a, a major selling point for them. The, the iPhone and Android and whatnot have this real rich multimedia experience uh, through even third-party applications. Interesting example, I was on the, you know, a couple of weeks back, I guess it was a month ago now, the iPad got launched and I was, I was, uh, it was in the middle of the day and I, I couldn't hop on and actually do anything on my computer at the time. So I had to use my iPhone uh, to connect in through the Ustream services to find a feed that had the audio stream of actually what Steve was talking about as he was announcing everything like that. And it was actually very nice to do, but just an audio stream. And I did it the entire thing over the Blackberry. And, um, it was about, uh, well, I guess an hour and 45 minutes that I watched or listened as it were on the iPhone. And that was 400 megabytes of data that I used in, you know, just that small period of time. And I thought to myself, you know, if I were doing more of this and, and, uh, we've got a, a sling announcement here that we'll chat about, there is, there's so many things that are happening that are increasing the pressure on this network here. I think BlackBerry really is up to something uh, when, when they mention you know, stuff like this on one hand. And then the other hand, they've got services like Pandora and Slacker and Slingbox and, and you know, all these things that take all this bandwidth too. It's just the core applications that they're making are definitely a little bit uh, more carrier friendly. And truly, their customer is the carrier in the devices. So uh, I can see that. Just an interesting thing though, and uh, kind of fun to hear from him as far as what BlackBerry is doing moving forward. WiMAX growth lagging here in the U.S., but worldwide growth is actually exploding, although we are only seeing here about uh, 47 million people in the entire North American region as being covered by WiMAX services, which is a, a far cry from some of the other places in the world. The service is growing as you look around the world. Uh, currently, their Clearwire in the U.S. here is looking to blanket approximately 120 million people by the end of the year, and that would be put them as the top user here in the U.S. as far as WiMAX services. You look at some other areas, uh, like Asia Pacific, there's 237 million people that can gain access to WiMAX services. Uh, in Europe, there's 115 million people that are covered. And uh, in Africa and the Middle East, 108 million people. So interesting numbers there that uh, we're seeing. And, you know, is this all for not? It may be with LTE coming out here in just the next couple of years. But for now, the U.S. is 
behind as far as the world in WiMAX expansion. The International Trade Commission opened up a formal investigation this week on both Apple and RIM based on a patent complaint made by Kodak. Kodak filed with the ITC claiming that Apple and RIM are violating several of its patents regarding image capture and processing on electronic devices. The ITC said its products at issue in this investigation are smartphones with a built-in camera. All three versions of the Apple iPhone and many of RIM's Blackberries all have cameras. Kodak is seeking compensation for the use of its patents and is willing to talk to Apple and RIM. In the meantime, it hopes that the ITC will agree to block both companies from importing and infringing products into the U.S. Well, Cox has detailed some LTE tests that it did in both San Diego and here in Phoenix, and also states that it has some limitations for the services. Stephen Bai, Cox's vice president of wireless services, described wireless as complementary to the MSO's wired network and explained that LTE will never handle the traffic loads of a fully wired internet. Cox announced the LTE trials from uh, running on soft, or excuse me, hardware made by Alcatel Lucent back in January and said during a presentation at the Mobile World Congress that uh, the services that they uh, that they had trialed here had peak speeds of around 25 megabits and uh, Uh, lower speeds on fringe areas at about 10 megabits. They also said that multiple users using the services would slow down the speeds, and if you had multiple users on the edge of a connection, the the speeds would be far slower. Some interesting uh, numbers that he threw out there, though. He said that Cox's wired internet subscribers, so those are the users that use Cox services in their home, average around 8 gigabytes of use per month. The top 1% of the carrier's most active wired internet users access 200 gigabytes per month or more, and uh, those users enjoy wired internet speeds of up to 50 megabits. Cox said that they witnessed a 200% growth uh, rate in the amount of data that was being used in the past 12 months, and that there is an insatiable appetite out there for data, and clearly that's not a good solution to deliver that capacity to users with wireless. So Cox taking a look at some LTE stuff here. They're trying out to see what they can do with it. Some of those interesting numbers, though, eight gigabytes per month, that doesn't seem like all that much, I guess, you know, thinking about how much we use on our handsets. But uh, I guess, you know, computer is using a lot more uh, bandwidth when you're doing different things to even load web pages or download emails. Uh, But nonetheless, hey, you know, they're looking at uh, running their own LTE network, too. Interesting, though, to say that it's not going to take it, you know, take out the wired internet side of things, and it's that's going to be there to stay. And I kind of agree with him. I, I don't know, Joey, and you've talked about this in the past, being able to replace your connection here. But uh, you know, seeing you know seeing numbers like that, it, it may not be possible. No, it may not be. But uh, it, you know, it, it's really tough because it really depends on your area. It depends exactly where your house is. It depends exactly what you're going to be doing with your you know said connection if you're going to go for WiMAX if you travel a lot with your uh, laptop and you're you're at coffee shops a lot and you're at work a lot and you're not home that much then it make may make more sense to go WiMAX versus a, a dedicated home connection and if you don't do Netflix streaming for example eh, you probably don't really need the home internet connection so it 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 varies on so many factors it's you can't just say well WiMAX is the way to go you it, you just can't do that yeah there's there's so many other things to you know to take a look at and uh, you know, latency too is going to be an issue. People using their devices and, and needing to have uh, to have that uh, you know real low latency for things like gaming. You know, exactly. And gaming is a is a big thing where latency it, it almost doesn't matter for everything else. Uh, you know, browsing websites. Yeah, if you have a high if if you have a real high latency, it's it's annoying. But uh, you know, you know, high speed gaming that it's it it makes the game completely unplayable if it's too high so it it yeah there's and there's many different ways to do this too cuz you know some DSL connections have horrible latency 
and you know it's a matter of a couple of settings but it, it makes it, it just makes the connection almost unusable for 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 those uh, particular people yeah and lte uh you know moving forward here we're going to find we're going to find ourselves really uh with more and more information on it here in fact verizon this week announcing that they're on track with their lte deployments and they're confident that they will launch uh the planned 25 to 30 markets by the end of 2010 uh, the, uh, the the CTO of Verizon Communications, Richard Lynch, also said that the two test markets that they've been working on, Boston and Seattle, will be ready within the next 60 days. I mean, that's coming up, you know, obviously very, very quickly here. By the end of April, we should see some some nice stuff here on, on the market on both Boston and Seattle side. So Verizon here is saying that they're taking a quick look at this one and that they will have their services out here uh, by the end of the year. So more and more people coming along uh, every single day. On the other side, Verizon said that they will be testing IMS for voice over LTE as part of their announcement of becoming more integrated with the GSM Association. They said that they would be working on their testing with their network for the IMS IP multimedia subsystem technologies for the voice side of the LTE network. And uh, that is something that is good news, again, as we mentioned earlier, in what they're doing for this particular standard. Well, let's talk about our first sponsor here, Netflix. You can help support the cell phone junkie by signing up for a two-week free trial of Netflix. Plans start at $4.99 per month, 100,000 titles to choose from. Keep each movie as long as you want. There's no late fees ever. Free shipping both ways. Free delivery in about one business day. Cancel any time, and as a bonus to those DVDs, watch some of the movies over the internet for no additional charge. Joey and I, of course, appreciate your support of the show by signing up for a two-week free trial. So my movie this week that I chose to watch was Google Me. And this is a, a movie that a, an individual put together on a whim after deciding that uh, he had he Googled his name one night and saw all these different results for it and said, you know, it'd be really interesting to talk to all these people. Oh, and by the way, I should chronicle that adventure by taking a mo- creating a movie out of it. So uh, a gentleman goes in, Googles his name, and uh, talks to six different people around the world and uh, kind of neat if you're interested in watching that one. I believe it's also available uh, streaming uh, over the internet as well, too. So there's some there's some great things there. If you have a Netflix account, uh, you can do so uh, by watching this one. So anyway, I like this one. I uh, watched, uh, was, I was trying to find a movie last night on streaming, Mickey, and then uh, at the last minute, uh, one of the recommendations, you know, that pops up since it does all kinds of recommendations based on what you've uh, uh, rated in the past. It came up with Man versus Food. It's a travel channel <laughs> show, and it's bizarre. So I watched about three or four episodes of that and uh, got to see some Minneapolis and some other city uh, uh, restaurants, and uh, it's something kind of fun, kind of gross, too, at the same time. I've seen some very interesting episodes of him doing crazy weird things eating beetles and bugs and anyway all sorts of weird stuff lots of different crazy things you can get on netflix so anyway we appreciate their support by being a sponsor of the show and i would appreciate your support as well if you sign up for a free trial well toshiba updates its tg01 handset this week to the tg02 Running Windows Mobile 6.5, it's got a 4.1-inch capacitive WVGA touchscreen on a 1 gigahertz processor. It's got a newly tooled 3D menu on it as well. Uh, more information about this one can be found uh, over uh, at the Toshiba website. Toshiba also has the K01 QWERTY slider.
Slider that they announced this week. It's a QWERTY slide-out keyboard running a 4.1-inch capacitive OLED touchscreen, a microSD card slot for storage up to 32 gigs, running Windows Mobile 6.5, no pricing or word on when this one will be released. Mobile World Congress also had a few devices from HTC. The HD Mini uh, was a very interesting device that came out, running Windows Mobile 6.5.3 with the HTC Sense interface. It's a uh, not a Windows Phone 7 series device, but it's got a 3.2-inch capacitive touchscreen, and uh, it will feature multi-touch gesture support, so you can pinch and zoom all around web pages and photos. It also will have an HVGA screen resolution. Uh, it has a slower processor than the HD2, uh, but it will still be zippy enough on the smaller screen. Uh, it runs uh, or has other features that you'd expect to find in this one, including GPS and Wi-Fi. Also, has a five megapixel camera on it, and it will be available in European and Asian uh, uh, markets starting in April. Prices have yet to be announced. On the Android side, Motorola serves up the Click XT. Uh, this is a new Android phone with the Motoblur software on it. A 3.1-inch multi-touch display uh, that has a 5-megapixel camera, 3.5-millimeter audio jack, Wi-Fi, memory card slot, GPS, and dual antennas for improved reception. On the software side, it's got Android 1.5 with Motoblur for social media integration. It also integrates TuneWiki, SoundHound, GoTV, and YouTube. The phone will be called the Click XT in the U.S. and available exclusively through T-Mobile starting in March. Quad band GSM with WCDMA 900, 1700, and 2100 megahertz on the 3G side, up to 7.2 megabits per second. A version called the Quench will be available in the rest of the world, uh, supporting WCDMA on 850, 1900, and 2100 bands. The HTC Desire is basically the Nexus One, a little less Google, a little more sense. Uh, this one was also announced at Mobile World Congress. The Desire has a 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor, 3.7 inch AMO LED touchscreen. Uh, Nexus One software, uh, ne- the Nexus One device has both of those as well. It runs Android's 2.1 operating system, but it will also support the HTC Sense for the enhanced user interface experience. The Desire also leaves behind the physical trackball in favor for the optical trackpad, uh, basically a button with an optical sensor built into it, allowing you to scroll around on the screen if that's the way you want to do it. It's got 7.2 megabit per second HSPA. So far, only European and Asian 3G bands, though. Uh, the HTC Desire will be available in those countries uh, in the second quarter of the year. No pricing yet to be released. The HTC Legend, the successor to the HTC Hero. The Legend is a minor spec bump uh, from the HTC Hero, but the exterior design has been uh, changed dramatically. The phone is now mostly encased in a single carved block of aluminum, much like the current Apple MacBook lineup. The new design is extra thin, but maintains a subtle chin for which HTC's Android phones quickly became known. It supports a 3.2-inch AMOLED screen with HVGA resolution. It's got Android's 2.1 operating system on it and HTC's updated Sense UI. It also has uh, a 600 megahertz processor in it and uh, will be available in certain channels, uh, including Europe and Asia in April and the rest of the world uh, in sometime in the second quarter. So we'll see what happens with this one on uh, this side of the pond. Acer also launched a few new Android devices, uh, namely the P300 and P400, as well as the B-Touch E110 and E400 smartphones. Uh, the P300 has got a, a WQVGA touchscreen with a slide-out QWERTY keyboard, Wi-Fi, and a March shipping date. And the P400 is a 3.2-inch HVGA display with 600 megahertz Qualcomm processor, Wi-Fi, 3.2 megapixel camera, 
And then there's the B Touch E110, shipping in March in their black or dark blue. 2.8 inch touchscreen, Android, 3.1 megapixel camera, FM tuner, 1500 milliamp hour battery, and finally the B Touch E400 with Android 2.1, 600 megahertz processor with a 3.2 inch HVGA resistive touchscreen, smart LED lighting, and an available ship date in April. Pricing remains a mystery on all of them, but we will see what happens. Actually, uh, one clarification there is that the Neo Touch P300 and P400 are actually going to be shipping with Windows Mobile 653. So both of those got lumped into the same story. Sorry about that. Uh, Best Buy Mobile offering the Motorola Devour first. The customers can pre-order the Android device for $50 and pick it up when it arrives on or after the 25th of February this week. Verizon Wireless will not offer the Devour until March. The Devour, of course, is the sideways slider with Motorola blur that got uh, viewed and the Super Bowl commercials that aired two weeks ago. TELUS releasing the Motorola Milestone this week. TELUS, the first Canadian operator to uh, release the Motorola device known, known here in the U.S. on Verizon as the Droid. Uh, it's capable of uh, HSPA speeds, selling for $199 after a three-year voice and data contract or a no-term pricing, uh, no contract pricing that is, at $600. Pricing uh, for that or, or that price point gives you a device that could be then unlocked and brought into the U.S. here and used on AT&T's network if you're looking to get yourself a droid on AT&T. So check that one out if you're a Canadian on the TELUS network. The Motorola Backflip to be the first of five Android handsets headed to AT&T. AT&T said it will begin offering the Backflip Android device starting on the 7th of March. The Backflip will be the first Android device offered by AT&T, running Motorola's Moto Blur social networking software and offered to T-Mobile customers here in the U.S., uh, which so far has only been offered by on T-Mobile uh, in devices such as uh, the, uh, I can't remember, not the Dex, but the other one that was available from Motorola, the uh, Click. So you've got uh, now the Moto Blur software on AT&T. It'll be $100 after mail-in rebate with a new contract. The backflip was announced in January at CES by Motorola. AT&T said it's planning to roll out four more Android devices coming in the first half of the year. Uh, these devices will come from Dell, HTC, and Motorola. AT&T, though, didn't say on which of the devices would be coming at which time. Dell has introduced several Android-based handsets in 2009, and both HTC and Motorola have a handful of devices being offered on other networks. Sprint promising its first WiMAX handset uh, could be released as early as June. The Supersonic is the device that people are anticipating this to be, and they're talking about the A9292 bar handset from HTC uh, that was spotted back in January, and uh, this one is a very similar device to the Nexus, and uh, will be very interesting to see if that one does indeed get the WiMAX services built into it. Of course, up until this point, WiMAX has simply been a data-style network where you've gotten either a, um, a dongle that plugs into the side of your laptop or like the Overdrive, which is a MiFi-style device, which allows you to use the uh, high speeds of the WiMAX network over Wi-Fi. So it uh, looks like we could be seeing the first handset coming very soon. Sagam Wireless and Puma teaming up for the first Puma phone. Puma AG and Sagam Wireless announced their collaboration device known as the Puma phone. It is an active smartphone, according to them. It features all the basics like HSPA networking, 3.2 megapixel camera, 2.8-inch QVGA touchscreen, as well as features for athletic types, 
For outdoor use, the Puma phone will feature GPS uh, for routing, mapping, and geotagging, as well as a compass and a pedometer. It can also be charged outside. It's got solar cells on the back side of it and a battery indicator telling you when it's full. The interface is a carousel-based menu design. It was built from the ground up for this particular phone, and it's not a traditional smartphone, though it will have applications to be able to take advantage of things like live video streaming, popular sports matches, and others. Uh, the Puma customer will be able to pick this one up via the M Commerce destination. The Puma phone will be available in European markets and directly from Puma's own stores starting in April. Texas Instruments announces its TIOMAP 4 chipset has begun sampling uh, with a mobile development platform in tow. The new Blaze MDP is billed in part as the TI's version for the future, and the developer device will support such multimedia niceties such as a dual 3.7-inch WVGA capacitive screen, HDMI output, 3-megapixel cameras, full sensor suite, including a barometer. The TI's Y-Link chip and single chip with Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, and FM function Functionalities. The manufacturer has also announced that the TI OMAP 4 processor will support Flash 10.1, and the TI OMAP 3 processor had already supported that, so that's a nice, uh, nice thing to see continued on. As part of their announcements at Mobile World Congress, the company is also detailing multimedia on the mobile device, including 1080p video recording and playback, and 20 megapixel imaging for advanced capabilities all coming to the next generation of the TI OMAP chips. Texas Instrument expects the OMAP 4 processor to find their way into production by the second half of 2010. T-Mobile announcing its new HSPA Plus laptop dongle called the T-Mobile WebConnect Rocket Laptop Stick, the first HSPA Plus dongle to reach the U.S. market. Uh, T-Mobile committed to rolling out HSPA Plus in markets. Later this year, it will first be available in Philadelphia. AT&T stepping into the LG Arena, pun intended with this one, with the new device called the LG Arena. It's uh, launched a year ago and now coming to AT&T. The LG Arena arrives to the U.S. uh, with a 3-inch screen, WVGA and touchscreen on that, 7.2 megabit per second HSPA, LG's own S-Class interface, 5-megapixel camera, as well as uh, the ability to upload pictures to popular social media sites. The LG Arena available starting on February 26th online and then in stores March 7th, $199 after contract. The AT&T mobile TV service is currently priced at $10 per month, though new users will get a seven-day free trial to check out the service. Mobile TV now offers content for more than a dozen providers and content partners, including all the major U.S. TV networks. Well, more news in a moment, but first a word about another way you can support the cell phone junkie. TCPJ Unlocked is a bi-monthly premium podcast where Joey and I delve into some of the depths of the mobile phone industry and talking about all the things that can give you your TCPJ fix. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com, click the link on the right for the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked, then click on subscribe to premium content and follow the instructions to get signed up. Thanks to everybody who's already a subscriber. And if you're not, you're going to want to make sure that you sign up this week to listen to the latest show uh, where we interviewed Kevin Toffel from JK on the Run and Mobile Tech Roundup as he joined us to talk about the Nexus One and what the buzz was all about with Google Buzz. So if you want to find out more about those, check out TCPJ Unlocked over at thecellphonejunkie.com. On to some software news here. The biggest announcement of the week for sure was that Microsoft officially shows off its Windows Phone 7 series operating system at uh, at Barcelona 
or Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. The new Windows Phone 7 series is a complete departure from the original operating system, and it has really gone uh, under a huge change. The user interface is a complete overhaul, now relying on actively updating live tiles and hubs that gather features and content onto the on-screen panels. Instead of using the, using the icon-based grid of applications, the new experience is reminiscent of the Microsoft Zune HD Media Player, and in fact, Microsoft Phone Series 7 or 7 Series users will get access to their Zune music and multimedia selections on their device. In addition to the Zune support, new Windows Phone 7 Series devices will also play games from Microsoft's Xbox Live service, and popular Xbox Live features like player avatars and achievement points will also be part of the experience. For business users, Windows Phone 7 Series devices will come with Microsoft's Office mobile suite of applications, as well as OneNote and SharePoint for business collaboration. Microsoft will also be including social networking integration into the new phones, uh, so contact information, photos, events, and other things will be a part of your social networks. In addition to status updates, you'll also be able to integrate your contacts into the specific interface, so you've got one central hub for all the information about the people you communicate with regularly. Microsoft will also offer a dedicated marketplace on board to download new third-party software. Microsoft is working on new devices with a wide range of partner companies, including HTC, Samsung, LG, Sony Ericsson, Dell, HP, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile USA. The first Windows Phone 7 series devices will hit the market in the holiday season of 2010, and more details about this event can be found at the company's website. This is a pretty big deal. Microsoft completely redesigning their mobile operating system, similar to what Palm did with the launch of the WebOS last year, and eerily similar in that they're not coming out with any devices here for many months to come. In fact, they're talking about a fall release of this particular device, so we still have somewhere between six and eight months to wait before we're going to actually see any of these devices hit the market. There'll be certainly devices that will come out in prototypes. We'll see a lot of leaks, I'm sure and whatnot. But a lot of the focus of this device uh, is going to definitely be on the integration of all these different things into the tiles. Uh, Those hubs that we talked about include uh, people, pictures, games, music, marketplace, and that office productivity. And each one of those is uh, very unique in and of itself, and it ties in all sorts of different services. There's going to be tighter controls over the phones. There's minimum hardware uh, that's required for it, including a one gigahertz processor and uh, certain amounts of RAM and ROM in there. So uh, very interesting to see this, Joey. And I'd love to get your take on it and what you think about this new operating system, because you know, honestly, I think both of us over the last year have really just kind of thrown our hands up in the air with Windows and just said, you know what, guys, you don't have anything going on right now. We're not going to do talk much about you. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it, I'm very excited to see this change. Yeah, you know, it was absolutely necessary. We've kind of talked about this. We've had rumors, you know, rumors after rumors that this is what was going to happen is that it was going to be an all new OS and, you know, no backward capability. And it was something that's long, long, long overdue. I mean, Microsoft should have really done this. Um, before the iPhone OS came out. I mean, they honestly, they should have seen the way the market was going. Uh, I mean, they have the horsepower and the money to do this, to, to create this new OS, to, you know, make it, make it a user-friendly device. You know, always, I've always hated Windows Mobile, Mickey. I've never liked it. I've, I, I have some users at work using it because of, because of the, uh, the smartphone OS, where it's a, it's a good handy email device. That's all, that's all it's for. Um, Everything else that Windows Mobile can do, it's super capable, has so many features and so much power and can do so much. 
but it's impossible to use. It's not quick. It's not user friendly. It's not stable. It's it, it's none of those things. And, and yeah, it's better. It's it's way better than it used to be. But you know, it, it just was not designed for a phone. And finally, Microsoft gets you know gets the clue that they needed to have, and you know, develop something that will probably bring it into the future for quite some time. I really hope you're right. I I have constantly, you know. I felt like the smartphone OS was not not necessarily developed by them, but it was really, you know, it took off with a lot of these Windows devices that were out there. And, uh, you know, I used them for years and just swore by them. And it just felt like they just completely got passed by in 2007 with the launch of the iPhone and then in 2000, early 2008 with the web OS, or excuse me, the Android OS. Uh, and then the, the web OS in 2009, it was like, Microsoft, what are you doing? Like, there's nothing happening here in three full years. And uh, so finally, they come out with this. Lots of information about it. No devices yet. There's a prototype that's out there, and that's what they were showing off this operating system on. And uh, I'll, I'm going to put three links in the show notes here. So if you wanted to go through and read more about them here, you can do so. But uh, very interesting ways that they're doing this. And um, kind of a unique thing, uh, just that I'll highlight here with each of the hubs, is that they're looking at one big long screen for each of these things. So it's not like you're going to a specific screen and doing things on that, exiting out of that and going to another thing. It, think of like a like a when you get like a sports schedule, like the latest, you know, uh, football games for your favorite team. And it's like this fold out thing. And that's kind of how this is, is it's a, a big, long, uh, you know, wide screen that you scroll and scroll and scroll across. And that's where you get all of the different things that are tied into that hub. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a neat uh, way to, to uh, arrange this information that now it's what people are doing on their mobile devices. I mean, if you take if you'd have taken this phone, you know, 4 years ago, 3 years ago, it wouldn't have wouldn't have applied because people who are mobile use, you know, using their phones, they wouldn't have been doing social network, they wouldn't have been doing pictures, they wouldn't have been doing all these things on there. It was a, you know, it was a different market. You needed your calendar and your contact list. That's all you would have done with it. So, uh, I mean, it's it, it it the market's changed so rapidly. Um, you know, I I can understand why it's taken them this long to do it, but you can see that they were just still behind behind the market. You know, waiting for other you know competition to come in, and of course, this is just one more uh, you know one more competitor out there in the current marketplace of what we have for mobile devices, which is which is always good for the consumer. Well, what do you think about the fact that they're going to still be charging for their OS? I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, Android is giving away their operating system. They're updating it constantly. They're doing uh, the things that really make the, the, the developers of these handsets, the, the, the ODMs, happy. And that's that they can grab the software for free, throw it on this device, and, and be off and running. Uh, Microsoft is now saying, well, number one, you're not going to be able to customize it like you've been doing in the past. It's going to be our way or the highway. You're doing it, and, and, and you're putting it on these devices. Uh, th- there's going to be specific uh, requirements for it and uh, you're going to have to pay for it. So what's going to differentiate these devices? You're going to have a lot of devices that are running relatively similar hardware. They're not going to be able to throw on their special you know, OS tweaks, their software tweaks on there. So why does one person buy a Motorola Windows Phone Series 7, 7 Series... Windows Phone device versus a uh, you know a Motorola versus an HTC versus a Samsung versus an LG. What is the differentiator at this point? You know, I I don't know, Mickey. We're gonna have to kind of see how it shakes out because maybe the market fragmentation of Android is going to 
lend itself to be uh, to, to to make it so consumers will actually want to have Windows Mobile over or you know Windows Phone over the Android, where you know it's inconsistent in the marketplace. Apps won't work on some devices, and some devices are less stable than others. Uh, that's where the power will be if they can control the software and can control the hardware and make the minimums, you know, and make it consistent across different phones like Apple does with their, you know, their, their iPhones, the way they they're, they're all consistent. And if the iPod touch along with it, if that they can, they can contain that and keep control over it, that will be an advantage to them. But of course the, the, the price is going to be a harder sell for the actual device manufacturers to swallow when they can get android for free Mm -hmm. and that's what i'm wondering you know the historically the amount of a windows mobile license has been somewhere between eight and fifteen dollars um you know maybe google will push that down a little bit lower but if you have to pay for it you know why why yeah i mean that's 20 bucks in profit that i mean on a device that you know if you take htc for example i mean the profits they probably take in on a device like that are probably 20 30 bucks so if you almost you know cutting your profit margin in half it's going to be a tough sell and uh you know consumers may want it but the device manufacturers themselves are going to say well i can take android for free why would i want to do this and 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 of course if you take the flip side you know iphone os and, and palm os they're manufacturing their own software licensing their own software on their own devices you're cutting that section out so uh you know, this is a tough way to do it when you're trying to license OS when you have the likes of Google out there putting it out for free. And there's nothing to say that this is going to, uh, you know, be how they do it. There's, you know, still six to eight months of polish that they're going to put on the OS and they make some decisions. And uh, you can you can bet that there's going to be announcements here about the, the new operating system in, uh, you know, in relative uh you know, continuousness as we move here forward. So uh, we'll be sure to stay on top of them, though, and uh, talk more as these different questions are answered. RIM showing off its WebKit browser this week at the MWC. The browser downloads and renders websites much faster than the previous browsers on the RIM devices. It is still in testing phases, and RIM executives won't commit to a time frame for when it will be released only that it will become available later in the year. Apple's Safari and Android's browser both use WebKit, so if you're interested in a RIM device, uh, know that this one will be coming soon down the pike. Nokia and Intel held, held a joint press conference this week to announce the marriage of the Moblin and Mamo operating system. The joined entity called Mego takes the best facets of each developer's environment and merges them into a robust mobile platform. Mego is an open-source Linux project that will let developers use Qt, uh, which is Qt, to write applications. Mego will target netbooks, entry-level desktops, handheld computing and communications devices, as well as in-vehicle infotainment devices, connected TVs, and media phones. Adobe announces that it will make its Air Runtime software available on mobile devices starting with Android later in the year. Adobe has built Air so much so developers can take can write programs and take advantage of the mobile phone features such as multi-touch, gesture inputs, accelerometer, and screen positioning. Air will work in conjunction with the Flash Player 10.1 and allow for applications that can run out of the mobile browser 
across multiple platforms, developers should be able to run in uh, develop in air and push applications to most devices running the Flash Player 10.1. Adobe also reaffirmed its commitment to deliver Flash to Android during the first half of the year, and Adobe has made a beta version of the Flash Player 10.1 available to developers. Well, we announced it last week and talk a little bit about here again this week that Sling Player Media is announced its Sling Player mobile application version 1.2 now available for update in the iTunes store and you can get that and now be able to stream your video over 3G. No longer do you need a Wi-Fi connection on your iPhone to watch your Sling Player. You can now do it over 3G. I tried it out a few places this week. Works great. I am stoked. I love to be able to do this now and I can't wait to be able to use this uh, when I'm out and about and traveling. HTC's CEO Peter Chow said this week that Android 2.1 updates will be coming to its existing lineup of devices. Uh, the Sprint Droid Iris, also the GSM uh, device of uh, GSM version of the Hero as well. Uh, the update will include the new version of HTC's Sense UI, bringing new features such as Friend Stream to the devices. Sprint indicated via its Twitter page that it is currently working with HTC and Samsung to bring Android 2.1 to the hero and also to the moment. It doesn't have uh, dates on when those updates will happen, but expects them in the second quarter of 2010. The Nexus One gets HTC Sense and Flash, courtesy of the HTC Desire ROM. We talked earlier about the HTC Desire, and if you're interested in getting both the Sense UI and the Flash 10.1 protocol on your device, you can do so by uh, rooting your device and installing the Desire ROM over on your Nexus. We'll put a link in the show notes if you're so inclined to take advantage of this. Uh, Obviously, proceed with caution here, as uh, you may cause problems with the device, but most say that it's working okay at this point. RIM introducing its BlackBerry Enterprise Server Express at the Mobile World Congress. The new server software bridges the gap between the BlackBerry Internet services, which are currently used by consumers, and the BlackBerry Enterprise Server, which is primarily a business application. RIM will give away the Bezex to small and medium-sized businesses for free. It offers many of the secure features that are included in the full Bez suite, but dials down many of the Bez's additional features that small businesses may not need. RIM expects that Bezex will help businesses manage BlackBerry smartphones that are purchased by consumers for personal and business use. Bez X's main features include wireless email, calendar, contacts, notes, and tasks synchronization. Also manage email folders and search through your email that's on the mail server with full access to calendaring, meetings, availability, and forwarding tools. You can also set out-of-office replies, edit MS Office documents, access company files behind a firewall, and use mobile applications that are behind that firewall as well. The BlackBerry Enterprise Server Express is expected to be available as a free download in March. Joey, this is a very exciting thing. I think a lot of people glossed over this as just kind of a, well, it's a business announcement and is it really a big deal? Uh, but for those that are using the Blackberries right now and you're using it on a biz uh, and you do happen to have access to an exchange server, I think you're going to be pretty happy about this one. The ability to not only be able to get and use and synchronize all of the services uh, that you were could do on a Bez now into this particular service, but also to find that you're going to have a lot of the securities. Uh, Apparently, there were approximately 400 to 500 IT policies that were in place on the uh, current full Bez integration that's out there right now. Uh, The uh, Bez X dials that down to somewhere, I think they said around 35 IT policies, but it still includes things like remote wiping of a device when it gets stolen, locking it down, stuff like that. Um, So there's a lot of different things that you can do with this. But as someone who provisions phones, I I can see you, uh, Joey obviously is being very excited about this. 
Yeah, it, it, it has a quite a bit of potential and um, obviously I have to dig more into the details and, you know, if there's more hidden costs and everything, but it, this is something that um, I may in fact use. You know, and what they're saying at this point, and this was a question, was uh, whether or not you're going to be able to use your Biz account uh, to use the Bez services. And it does look like you are. You don't have to have a Bez plan, which is an additional, I think, $10 per month to do so. Um, it's it's not a, a confirmed thing at this point, but that's what it looks like. So once uh, once this software comes out, I'm sure we'll be able to figure that one out specifically. But um, I'm very excited to see that this is now available and uh, that you can do this here. Um, if you're be able to get this here very soon, if you're someone who's running a small business and wants to have all your users on the BlackBerry, Verizon and Skype announced something big this week with an application to Verizon smartphone users. According to Verizon, this application will allow smartphone users to make unlimited Skype to Skype calls around the world, as well as calling international numbers at a more favorable Skype rate. You can also send and receive instant messages to and from Skype users and see contacts presence to know if they were online. Calls made from Skype Mobile will trans, uh, transit over Verizon's cellular circuit-switched network, but won't use the subscriber's monthly minutes. The application will not work over Wi-Fi uh, via voiceover IP. The application will use... Uh, it, the application and its use will be free to smartphone owners who subscribe to a monthly data plan, and it will be available on the BlackBerry Storm, BlackBerry Storm 2, the Curve 8530, and the Curve 8330, good news for me, and also the BlackBerry 8830 World Edition, as well as the Motorola Droid, Devour, and HTC Eris. It will be available late March, according to the announcement. Now, what does this mean for the recent announcement that AT&T is allowing a use of voice over IP services over its 3G? network. Uh, one of the big ones that we thought we were going to see right away was the Skype, uh, the Skype application and the ability to be able to use it now over that 3G services, uh, the 3G service from AT&T. Well, apparently GigaOM has dug up some details stating that this recently announced deal between Verizon and Skype could be an exclusive and that there is a two to three year deal that would not be offered to other carriers. Not sure what that means yet for this, the platforms themselves. Uh, the latest version of the application is ready to be released, uh, but is being withheld due to concerns with the AT&T network, according to Skype. They're also looking at to optimize the particular uh, program so that it can take advantage of uh, better voice quality at uh, lower bit rates. Uh, so we'll see what happens with this one. But we may be stuck with using uh, voice over IP over Wi-Fi uh, currently if this particular thing, uh, announcement, uh, or at least information is true, that it's going to be an exclusive. Um, but yeah, that could be something interesting. Uh, again, that's a very rumor, uh, very much the rumor mill, but uh, nonetheless, AT&T uh, could uh, not be seeing those services uh, in, for at least for a while. Google Goggles getting instant language translation uh, in an, uh, a demonstration this week at Mobile World Congress. Google uh, showed off their Google Goggles software where they were able to take a picture of a foreign language uh, text on a piece of paper and then send it to the servers where it uses the optical character recognition to define the text, translate it, and return it to the user. It's available on Android devices uh, running 6.1 and higher. I don't have any device uh, pieces of paper that have any foreign languages written on them, but maybe I should pull out a phone user manual or something just to see what that is. Could definitely make on-the-go translation of uh, foreign languages very, very easy. Apple increasing its iPhone cellular download cap to 20 megabytes in advance of the iPhone launch. If you're 
Someone using the iPhone, you know that if you were trying to download an application or update a current application on your device, you had a 10 meg limit on the amount of data that you could download over the air to do that particular uh, application download or update. They have since upped that cap to 20 megabytes, which could, uh, in fact, be a sign that they're trying to figure out the best way uh, to have uh, these downloads available over the iPad, as most people are going to be using them on the go and won't have them tethered to a computer to do these updates, such as applications. Two ways to manually add podcast subscriptions to Google Listen. Uh, this one comes from JK on the run, and he's uh, Kevin Tofel wrote this one. He's someone who we talked to, we mentioned last week on the Unlock Show, and talked all about the Android platform and the new Nexus One. And something that you uh, may be interested in is how do you get your, your podcasts on your new Nexus and your Android operating system device? Well, the Google Listen uh, uh, application is uh, currently one of the best that I've found that does uh, downloading for podcasts. And it's real neat. You can set it to download certain uh, certain podcasts, certain numbers of podcasts. You can also download either over Wi-Fi only or over the air or when you're only plugged in, all sorts of different options where you don't have to feel like you're tethered to anything uh, to get your podcasts. Now, you may not want to be adding all of those uh you know, dot PHP or dot, uh, what are they, RSS feeds or whatever they are to your podcatcher. So you may want an easier way to do it. Once you subscribe uh, to or download the Google Listen software, there's a, there's an update that will show up now um, if you haven't already done so. It's called, uh, it's version 1.1. And by doing so, it synchronizes all of your subscriptions over to your Google Reader account. So as soon as I updated the application, I then found a new folder in my Google Reader that was called Listen Subscriptions. And the great thing that you can do now is to go into your Google Reader, add a podcast subscription and highlight it as uh, being in the uh, particular, as they call them, folder or filter of a Listen subscription. Then that is automatically synchronized over to your Android handset. And uh, there you go. Uh, nice, easy way to do two-ray synchronization with your podcast right over the air. So a real neat uh, way to do that there with Google Listen and the Android software. And finally in software, the Find My iPhone feature, one of the best ones out there for the iPhone in order to find a lost device, now works in mobile Safari. So say you're on the go and you happen to lose your iPhone and you're with someone who's got another one, they can easily log in to the mobile me account and uh, look at the mobile Safari version to check out and see what you've got, uh, where your device may possibly be. So real good, uh, interesting um, way that you can do that now. It's kind of weird, Joey. I don't know why they wouldn't have done this before other than it was a little hard to uh, to simulate uh, the animation of uh, the real-time, you know, where the, de- the device was. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, it now works on mobile Safari is basically what we wanted to say with that one. Uh, some questions and comments here. First one is a comment from Joel. He says, first, I'd like to thank you for giving me information on how to get data only Uh, how to get a data-only SIM for my phone. I thought I would share my experience for the sake of other listeners that may find it helpful. I ended up going with T-Mobile, and when I made my first attempt to get a data-only SIM, I was asked the phone type in which I plan to use it. After stating that I was going to be using it for a Nexus One, I was told I couldn't get such service on a voice plan uh, as it is required uh, for, or as a voice plan is required for the phone. I dug one of my old AT&T Windows phones out and went into a T-Mobile store on a second attempt to get the data-only SIM. I encountered no objections and walked out with an operational SIM card. Somewhere, uh, something that surprised me is that the data-only service is available only with a contract, whereas T-Mobile has the everything and more plans that let you get a contract-less service if you pay for your own equipment and there is no equivalent, however, of that for a data-only plan. 
a minimum contract length is two years, and perhaps it will change when AT&T starts offering month-to-month services themselves. I was also surprised to find that my T-Mobile phone, T-Mobile service does not do the same level. Let me repeat that. I was also surprised to find that T-Mobile does do some of some level of enforcement on what phones that can use the SIM. My sister was going out of town and she asked me if she could borrow a GPS navigator. Since Google Maps now allows Android 1.6 phones to have the voice navigation, I decided to let her use my old MyTouch 3G as a navigation device. I inserted the SIM, verified everything was working, and drove her to the airport. Shortly after she landed in the destination, she called me to tell me that the navigation wasn't working and the phone was unable to find her position. It wasn't until the next day that I came up with an idea of what was going on. I called my sister and had her try other functionality on the phone and it was failing. I then had her open up the browser and it displayed a page declaring that she needed a voice plan for the phone that was offered to her as an option of purchasing a voice plan directly from the phone. When she arrived back at home after a week-long trip, I tried to use the phone myself and experienced the exact same behavior she did. I then moved the SIM card back into the Windows phone and the service, the data service worked just fine. It makes me think of something you reported in your last show, that AT&T was automatically altering the plans of customers that inserted their SIMs with no data plan or with a feature phone data plan into a smartphone. So this was an interesting comment and I appreciate Joel for writing this one into us because, you know, it's, it's a strange thing here that uh, the, the service providers are now really requiring certain data plans for certain devices. So you've got a MyTouch 3G, which apparently they've always required a data plan to be used on, um, or a voice and data plan to be used on. And you can now go and activate a data plan, um, you know, no, well, with a contract, but no voice plan required. And you can take that SIM and put it in any device, as long as it's not one of their devices that requires this. And it, uh, it's one of those reasons where I, those things that kind of got me a little sketchy about what I wanted to do with the Nexus here is because I don't need another voice plan. I just need data. And I, I would consider getting one of the uh, the Get More Plus plans, I think, or every, everything and more, whatever it's called, where you have a limited number of minutes and data, but you have no contract. I would love it if there was a data-only version of that, but I don't know. It just seems like that's not what they want to do right now. Yeah, it's an amazing story considering, you know, they can trace that and then, of course, block you out at that time, which is, I mean, that any advantage of you have of SIM cards here, Mickey, is quickly going away entirely. And it's all it's doing is becoming frustrating for the people who who are used to swapping SIMs because a lot of people uh, do that uh, with GSM phones. They swap their sw- you know, SIMs because they want a different phone for a different day or they're swapping phones around just like the story here. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's frustrating considering uh, what they're now doing to it. And, and I thought our networks were supposed to be open for cross devices. I mean, it's, we, it, you might as well go to CDMA because it's a lot uh, clearer and, and straightforward then. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, you, you, I don't know. I, I'm constantly amazed at the amount of uh, regulation that's being put in place here with some of these devices and, you know, what they're allowing, what they're not allowing. And I'm, uh, I'm concerned on, on stories like this, but at the same time, it really doesn't surprise me at this point. So, but I appreciate, uh, appreciate that story. So thanks, Joel, for sending that one in. And finally, today, a comment from Josh. He says, I'm sitting in a terminal or the terminal at San Jose on my way back from Costa Rica, heading back to Denver. And I have now counted 16 iPhones, including myself. Wow. Also, sending text via Google Voice has saved my business and helped keep up with helped me keep up with my friends all for much less uh, of a cost than getting and actually using the text messaging services. So thanks Josh for both of those comments and uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me here. Uh, I was uh, you know on the the uh, the tippy.com uh, live podcast this week and uh, we were talking uh, about iPhones of course and uh, and Dieter 
from uh, WM experts and uh, pre-central and all the other, you know, smartphone expert sites called in and said, you know what guys, this is uh, the, the iPhone is the device that the majority of people are using. And uh, you know, honestly, it is the big one that people are not talking about too. Everyone is all excited about the new Android devices and the windows devices that are out there, but yet everybody is using an iPhone. So kind of interesting to see that. It is. And, you know, Mickey, there's a, you know, there, it, it's a, it, there's a big difference between what the uh, news reports and the bloggers and the tech world reports on versus what people are actually using. Because what was it just a, a year, year and a half ago, basically almost every cell phone user you saw out in the wild was using a, uh, uh, um, what did the, uh, the, the flip phone, the Motorola the razor. Flip phone, whatever that thing was. Yeah. The razor. Exactly. <laughs> the razor. And, uh, I was thinking Z3, but you know, because the model, but oh, sure. um, like what's, the, yeah, the Razer, uh, you know, the Razer phone. And now what do we've got? Everybody's on Blackberries and Blackberry Curves and Pearls. And, you know, it's kind of behind a little bit, but, you know, obviously more and more iPhones are becoming out there and the, the numbers that they have are, are huge, but, it's, you know, slowly it, it changes and the consumer in the mass, mass market, I mean, they're not what the, all the current stories are about. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the one of the, what I really wanted to highlight with that and emphasize was it, it's so much of what came out of this week was about the operating system, the Windows Seven, uh, you know, operating system, the the Android devices that were out there, and guess what? These are not the devices that the vast majority of people are using right now. I, I like the Nexus; it's really neat, and that's why I like talking about it because it's 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 it, it almost takes some of the best things of the iPhone and adds in some of the the things that you know the Uber you know, tech geeks want like, you know, real tight Google voice integration. And that is, you know, slowly becoming something that average people are using. You you figure out that you can send text messages for free. You can have one number that you can give out and have it ring certain phones when it's certain people and other phones when it's other people. And it, it just makes all the sense in the world to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, it's, we, you have to stay on top of things uh, to, to really, you know, feel like you're not falling behind. And at the same time, we're starting to talk more about things that just people aren't using quite as much. So uh, we try and keep a nice, healthy balance of the, you know, what everyone is interested in and everyone is using. And then also the late, you know, the cutting edge stuff, the latest and greatest that's out there. So Hopefully we're doing that for you. If you have any questions or comments for us, please let us know. Give us a call to 206-203-3734 and uh, just leave us a message there, a voice message, or you can give us a, an email at questions at the com, and you can also send us a voice comment to there as well. We'll uh, play either when, uh, either way that you send it in to us. And uh, if you uh, would like to follow us, you can do so on Twitter, twitter.com slash tcpj underscore Mickey or twitter.com slash tcpj underscore Joey. So Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.